You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom, this is On Principle. I think we've hit almost 80-something shows, and I'm here with one of the first guests we ever had, Rabbi John Crow, principal of Salanter, Akiva Riverdale. Yeah, it's been a long time, John, and I think what is really in the and everybody's lips now is our normal teaching assignments going to become obsolete because of the students' access to chat GPT. It used to be a number just a couple of years ago, and I was grading term papers myself, believe it or not, that I would be able to take statements from my students' papers, and I was able to find them by putting them into a database. And I realized that they had cut and paste, that it wasn't their own words, that they had found something. So we were able to catch them and we were able to tell them, come on, this is plagiarizing. Do your own work. But with ChatGPT, it's so personalized that this type of paper that this one is going to spew out for this student, it can't be replicated. And I know that you just listened to our discussion about ChatGPT 4.0 with Rabbi Michael Broyd, there's a certain security to it that nobody could find it. So I know you in, in the school have discussed about this, about how are you going to crack down on that? How could teachers give assignments that are dependent on compositions anymore when chat GPT, whatever iteration is going to be, is going to basically save them? It's an important question. It's the kind of thing that is, uh, I think, occupying most schools as they think about how to manage this. Different schools have done different things. I know that a bunch of... Uh, Public school systems. I know. I think New York City Department of Education banned Chat GPT from its networks. You can't access it in the public school system on their Wi-Fi. My understanding is, I think uh, maybe LA schools did that, but a bunch of schools are doing that. Uh, I think that's you know probably makes sense to me. That's the that's the knee jerk reaction, and think it's probably short sighted. It's probably not going to go in that direction. What, what, what John? What stops them from going home and using it though? I, don't, I can't imagine what would stop. I'll tell you. What, I'll, tell you I'll tell you what we've done here. We we here we do not um, ban it from the from the Wi-Fi. For the, you can access it in school. We are in the process of figuring out a kind of like you know a school wide policy. Right now, the it's been sort of left to different departments to have their own you know sort of develop it from ground up what they want the policy to be. Generally, what we've said um, has been that the um, different classes. Um, require students to write papers on on their Google on Google Docs, and Google Docs show the version history, so you can see whether you know the person's progress. You can track a student's progress in writing something. Of course, a very sort of like lazy slash industrious kid could get an essay written on ChatGPT and then on one device and then type that into into uh is google doc there are ways to get around everything banning something is futile i i imagine that what's going to happen is much of the when you want kids to do creative personal uh writing it's going to happen in class you know where you won't where you don't have access to chat gpt i think that you know asking kids at home to not use it is going to be very challenging, if not impossible, to enforce. And therefore, I imagine that you know going forward, ChatGPT is going to be very similar to other technologies that have come along. And first, people decry them as being the end of 
you know, critical thinking. And I do think it's going to end up being, you know, more similar to the way we look at calculators. Sometimes when you're teaching arithmetic skills, so you, you should not be using a calculator, but if you're doing, you know, some, you know, doing some calculus, we expect people to use calculators. And, and this is going to play a similar role. I, I, I just can't imagine that we're going to squelch it and stifle it. Uh, I think that our job is going to be to figure out how to you know, have our students know how to manage this. Again, this is so young. It's just a few months old. We don't know what we're doing yet. And the world that these kids are living, are growing up in, it's going to be a world in which they're very comfortable using this. And this is going to be when you're working in your law firm, you're going to rely on this doing for original draft. So maybe one of the, some of the things we have to teach is how to, you know, use this rather mm-hmm. than look at it as a role, as I said, uh, opportunity to cheat. It's opportunity to, to get it, to have a draft. I don't believe that just because something is new, it automatically is go. it must be good. Overall, social media has had like you know, negative impacts on the way we, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, this is, you're right. This is connected to some of the same technology as social media, but it's really directly related to what we have been asking our students to do. So it's going to shake up. What do you want from this class? What do you want them to accomplish? One of the things you and I always talked about is before you get into class, what is your goal? What do you want? What do you want from the year? What do you want from this week? What do you want from the semester? What do you want for the next 45 minutes? And I think, chat, this is going to shake up what is we want, because since this is going to be available and they're going to have it at the snap of their fingers, it's no longer going to be a talent that is necessary for them. And to to force them to be able to do this on their own is going to they're going to feel a sense of futility being able to do that. And that's going to be and, and, and it's not something that's going to be demanded from them in the in the greater world that they're going to work in, even if they work in the humanities. So the question is, what wisdom, idea, what abstract aspect of thought are we going to tease out of them? And and that's going to take a lot of thinking. You know, Havrusa learning is immune to this, you know, because basically, you know, you, you know, as much as chat GP3 can give you a summary of the opinions, but you still expect them to be able to get through the page to be able to read it, to be able to understand it. And you could still probably, I, I don't like giving oral tests, but I think part of the learning will be much less teacher-centered. And the teacher is going to have to maybe gauge how, the, whether it's a group of two or three, how they are developing. Maybe they'll have the computer with them, but they're still going to have to make sense of what they have studied. I'm imagining right now, you're learning a sugi. Give me a, is Priyashma Diaraisar Drabanan. I can imagine it could be a really interesting exercise putting a query into chat GPT, you know, uh, what is the sheet of the Rambam uh, and understanding what, uh, what aspects of Kriyashma Diaraisar, what's the Rabbanan according to the Rambam, see what chat, chat GPT answers. And then their job is to you know, grade it to what extent, what's right here, what's wrong here, how would you have said something differently? And that, that to me could be a really interesting thing, you know? So that implies that they've already heard from their teacher, from their own learning, and then they would have to necessarily use the chat GP3, as you say, as sort of a 
sort of an exercise in what's wrong with this paragraph type of thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about where you and I live together yeah. uh, in Talmud. So in yeah. Talmud, in the standard SAR Talmud class, yeah. I walk in there. I'm going to see most of the students with an iPad in front of them. Different teachers. I mean, the kids generally take notes on their iPads. Most kids take notes on iPads. There are some teachers who find the iPads to be a distraction at the discretion of the teacher where they want to go old school and require kids to just take notes on uh, old school like pieces of paper. Uh, I like, I find that the the using the iPads are really for the ki- the kids who use them properly. They're incredible for Gemara in terms of different note taking, um, you know, sort of apps, annotation apps where you can kind of like highlight text, uh, take notes in the text, you know, have a daf of Gemara, the Tzuras Adaf as an image on your iPad and like take it apart. It's really, the kids who do it great are really helps them. In the I, I like kids using the, the devices in Gemara. Apple introduced, I think it still exists, although I don't think it's ever, you people use it. Apple introduced a feature on their iPads um, is meant for schools that is called Apple Classroom in which it basically allows the teachers within Bluetooth distance. If you're in your classroom, you can see what every kid is doing on their iPad and you can lock their iPads. You can really control them in the classroom. It, I think it was, it ended up being not large, not widely adopted because it was a pain in the neck. I, I want to teach a Gemara and I'm teaching the Gemara. I don't want to keep looking at my, my device to see what, uh, Shmuley and Devaira are doing on their iPads. Um, every five seconds. I don't think people, teachers did not like it, did not, you know, did not avail themselves of it. That's one way of locking. You also, we also could, you know, some schools have a whitelist and some schools have a blacklist. Whitelist means everything is forbidden. You can't get to website except for these 20 websites. I think some schools that we have blacklists, like you can't get to any, you, you can get to all websites except for these. And it can be categories. You can't get to, Anything that has gam, you can't. It doesn't have gambling. It doesn't have pornography. Doesn't have like you know. I, I don't know whatever, whatever kinds of things. Some of the things are like you know. These some of these. Uh, you know, you could make it so that you couldn't get to ChatGPT. We generally find that teaching abstinence does not really work that much in technology. Similarly to the way that teaching for abstinence, I think, in the sex ed world has been found not to be that effective. You know, in many of our conversations, John, I, I like turning the table the other way. We've talked about the students and handcuffing them or allowing them. ChatGPT is also going to make it difficult for you to decide who's an effective teacher because a, a teacher would be able to generate his lesson plans. And I'm not, I'm not that concerned about that. If a te- how have I? Teacher wants to use ChatGPT to come up with some great ideas about how to teach a class. That'd be great. If they could figure out, I, I don't need them to be the most creative and original thinkers as to how they want to do it. If it's about it's about the delivery. If you're able to come up, if you're able to use the internet to come up with a clever, creative way of teaching kids, and you can pull it off, call it kavod. It takes a certain it takes a certain ability though to be invested enthusiastically in something that you didn't really write yeah, or do. I agree. Very few people can, you know, it's, it's the reason why it's almost never successful when you have some sort of set curriculum. Here is the book in Halach, like go through this workbook 
of, of an halacha that, that has been designed for you. No teacher likes to teach that because it's not the way they set up the sugya. doesn't have your own. It's not the way you would have set things up. You don't like doing it. Teachers are good teachers. When you tell them, here is, here's the sugya I want you to teach. Make sure the ki- kids should like, you know, see this Rashi, this Tosvos, but like teach the way you want to teach it. Right. Which I guess brings us to another area of commonality. You know that on our podcast platform, we just interviewed the chief editor of Tzurbim Rabbonon, uh, Eli Azarovsky. I know from a conversation I had with you a couple of weeks ago that Tzurbim Rabbonon is now going to become a key feature in yeah. SAR and maybe other schools. Is it going to be an adjunct to Talmud or is it going to be a different track? Part of part of, as we do what well, we we way we've set things up in the past few years is that Gemara teachers teach halacha. It, they set aside time in to teach halacha. So it's not a separate class. It's, part, it's with your Gemara shear. Is when you have halacha. So we um, we've gone through different narrations and different things. Like, you know, recently we did we you know for example we did Bava Kama. We do Bava Kama in ninth grade. We thought you know we had been doing. In ninth grade, but didn't really fit with Bavakama. We tried to do something we thought would be an interesting halacha that fit with Bavakama. We started doing was sugyas in the beginning of Baba Basra, uh, the very halachically focused on tzedakah, pidyon shvuyim, like Mrs. Ben Adam Lechaveiro. And that's, we tried doing it as teaching the sugyas with a very strong riff, Rambam Rush, Shulchan Aruch, going at and halacha lamaisa. It ended up feeling not that much different than learning a Gemara sugya. I think kids were not, we didn't think it was kind of conveying the message we wanted to convey about learning of halacha. So we're going back to teaching Hilchas Tefillah in ninth grade, but we're going to be using the Tzurva Mirabonan uh, curriculum. And the reason for that is because of its beauty, because of its aesthetic qualities, because think, of the... Yeah, I, it, it is laid out very beautifully. It is... What we like about it is that it's not a workbook that has questions that kids have to fill out. It's really, it really serves as a source book. It's a lot of great Makoros. Teachers will go through the Makoros with the kids and um, use it as a way of going, going through the halacha. It's just like very graphically designed, very beautifully. The people put it together, we think, did a great job of highlighting the main points of the sugya without getting too in the weeds, and I think it'll be great. The truth is, is that the Manhiga Toranit that was connected to uh, the Tsurba do have tests, which uh, I have a couple of samples of, and I think those might be something which students on a higher level yeah. might be interested in using. Look, I'm a big believer in, you know, like you know, like when teachers say, "Steal my material." So yeah. If, if there's a if there's a great test. Uh, that you could copy and use as a template, that would be tremendous. You know, again, you say Surba not having test pages or not having work, work, work pages is a, is, is a, is a benefit. The teachers are going to be challenged about how to grade and indicate that the information has been understood other than spitting back what the, what, what the editors have said. We'll put it this way. Even if it all it is is a beautiful bauble that the kid enjoys rubbing his hands on, he at least feels happy that he has this book and, and you could teach it from him. But, but I think there's a little bit more to it. And I think to me, and I've said this to Elias Zarovsky on our discussion, is that it opens students to the panorama of Psak, 
and all the different voices. I like very much that there's like a real, there's really a nice balance of, uh, there's lots of Ravavadya in there as well as Shlomo Zalman. I, I think it's, I think it's very, yeah, I, I think that's great. And as Ellie pointed out to me for the English edition, he made sure to include Psalkim from Rav Herschel Schechter and others. Oh, really? That, yes. The, and the Rav and other things that, that, that Rav Schechter quotes in Nefesh Arav and other places. So there is a, an attempt really to, to expand. And I think the students will be, as I said on this previous show, will get a better sense of the world of Alocha being an equal playing field and that they can also tread in it. I, I think many times, especially in the modern schools, there's a sense that, well, this is for the Machmirim, this is for the Shaymre Nagia crowd, mm-hmm. this is for the people who are this. I think you're dropping them in this laboratory of modern-day poskim and seeing how they play against each other and are different from each other, I think makes them makes students realize how you know the Torah is a Torah Chaim, that we're all... It's an umbrella that can cover many, many people. And I, I think, if you allow me, I think part of what the teachers can do, other than master the material, is to start indicating to their students patterns within different poskim. They might yeah. be able to say, "Here, oh, do you see how Chacham Avadi here has a little bit of a similar approach or his son, or maybe see Rav Nissen Karelitz and, and, and use that material to expand their outlook, you know, that they shouldn't necessarily say, well, this is the Haredi version. This is not, no, no, this is, it's all in a way uh, it, it becomes more real to them. And I think that's really a great advantage. And I think this really goes back to the, our original discussion. Chad GPT is probably going to be very good at Eliazarovsky's job. You know, in other words, these are the sources. How would you compare each one to the other? How would you say where is one going to differ from the other? And I think I wonder if those editors are using that right now. Obviously, you're in a period now in the summer where you're discussing how the coming year is going to go and what are going to be some of the things that you stress. And you mentioned to me off pod that, interestingly, that one of the things that students have been pushing for, especially, you know, in the type of environment of rancor and an insult and hurt that and cancel culture that exists, how can we be kinder, gentler, more understanding? How could we be more refined in our interpersonal relationships. In other words, the Beinotum Lechavero aspect, which is many times overlooked, even in the finest yeshivas. I, I don't have a, I don't have the exact roadmap yet, but I'll tell you, I'll, I'll give you the outline, which is to say, I think that to a large extent, I don't know if the kids are clamoring for it. I, I do feel like I got, I I'm clamoring for, which is, I think that the notion of, of being a from Balabas, somebody who's a member of the community who's contributing nicely, is almost always defined by Bain Adam Lamakom kinds of behaviors to the exclusion of Bain Adam Lachavero. In other words, it's almost like the Bain Adam Lachavero is the, not, that's not a sign of from kite in the same ways that Bain Adam Lamakom is. I, I want to both encourage and figure out how to motivate our kids to be the nicest kids in the world. 
to have great, be tremendous balimidos, and to not just be balimidos as balimidos, but to also think think of themselves as kind of like as working on your midos as a form of avoda. It's it's a it's a, this is like you know this is this is I'm doing the will of a kaddish baruch Hu. I'm trying to become a closer to Hashem by you know being more concerned with my bein adam lachaveiro. If we're able to help students think of their bein adam lachaveiro as improving their own sort of like religious identities, it will spill over nicely into also the bein adam But you know, in a school environment, John, many times the competitive aspect, although SAR, I have to, from my recollections there, did a lot to neutralize that among the students. But there's such a competitive, natural aspect in school that many times, you know, Benam Lechavero is, is, is trampled on. There's, uh, even if it's not the competitiveness, the maturity that it takes to will give other person space while you're trying to figure out who you are. In many ways, the trampling on the Bedon Machavero is a byproduct of the person discovering himself and therefore pushing the other person around because he wants recognition. Uh, they want to be who they are. They, and, and, and they don't yet know how to integrate that. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's hard, you know, other than in, 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 in romantic relationships or in, you know, hanging out together relationships for students to really care about that other person as a person, not as an object of pity, but as Bain Adam Lichavero as an equal. Yeah. That's something which I think is very tough for that age to accomplish. And especially in the laboratory of competitiveness of the school. I think it's all, all very good points. I do think though that as much as kids sort of asserting their own, sort of like sense of self sometimes tramples on other people's senses of self. I also think the kids in high school are very much concerned with hypocrisy and making sure that, you know, they, they care about if they, you know, they may care about most about themselves, but they also care about fairness and, and like helping other people. There is a sense of like, you know, kind of like almost like wide-eyed, youthful naivete, perhaps you might even say about trying to make the world better and to be nice to people and to have people, you know, I do think that there's society, society as a whole. Yes. They have a sense of, of I'm going to make the world better than the one I found, but But that doesn't necessarily, that doesn't necessarily mean that the guy, the one they're sitting on the bus next to that that they're going to make room for that person. If that person is a little bit of a slob, they're they're still going to go home at night and gossip the hell out of the person in class. So, you know, that's why why I think there needs to be a campaign about it. That'd be specific, discreet sort of like actions that you sort of train people in to try to make and and talk about it a lot instead of just assuming that people will be, you know, nice and good because that's generally the way people turn out. I think you have to like, you know, somebody once told me there was a, they said there was some college that everybody knows everybody holds the door open for the person behind them. That's just what they do. If you go to our school, if you go to our college, you, we hold the doors open for people. I, you know, and that's the kind of thing that shapes, even if it doesn't change every single day, the more you are sort of being like, you know, acharea peulos, perhaps, but the more you train yourselves in having certain, you know, benon lechaveiro behaviors that are just what we do around here, and you have those behaviors, they they shape you. And you have to come up with what some of those campaigns are and talk about that with people. And we have to train ourselves to become like nicer people. 
Let me tell you of uh, a Hanhaga that I observed yeah. in a school that's only about about a mile away from SAR. And that, of course, is the premier yeshiva in America, Tells, which is Tells, Tells, Riverdale. Yes. Tells Riverdale. In Tells Riverdale, the students take turns, like the Levium in the Beis Amikdosh, to act as waiters to the other students. Every Every week or so, the group moves and the other group becomes the waiters for them. And in this way, just like the Gemara speaks about who was being mishamish, the Gemara talks about a certain Amora being mishamish, these younger Amoroyim. That's what they do in tells. And I think that, that, that is a wonderful way to, to sort of everybody gives to the other one. Well, John, I would say that um, we've done this many, many times. And uh, clearly, I, I would say these pulas only really strengthen the regesh uh, levavi that exists between us. And not talking obviously is painful, but we hope that we will be able to Man. continue. Take care, John. We'll catch you hopefully uh, soon enough. Have a good summer. Be well. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.